Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where you can hear the GC team discuss and debate topical developments in public policy and regulation from around the world. I'm Miranda Lutz, a senior associate out of Global Council's Washington, D.C. office. Today, we'll be discussing the U.S.-EU-Japan Trilateral Partnership. For this conversation, I'm very pleased to be joined by my colleagues, Alessandro Gangarosa, a senior associate in Global Council's Brussels office, and Alexander Bobrovsky, an associate in Global Council's trade and manufacturing practice. So in this podcast, we're going to break down what the renewed trilogue between the United States, European Union, and Japan means for trade policy. In particular, we're going to examine what the partnership means in terms of policy development and how it may impact corporates and investors operating within those three jurisdictions. Earlier in November, the U.S., Japan, and EU agreed to renew this trilateral partnership, which was initially started under the Trump administration to address a series of global challenges. In the first conference between the country's trade ministers, that's the U.S. Representative Catherine Tai, European Commission Vice President Vladis Dombrovskis, and Japanese Trade Minister Kochi Haguida, wrapped up last week on December 3rd. So welcome, Alexander and Alessandro. Um, let's let's dive right in. And Alexander, let's set the stage. The trilateral's origins began under the Trump administration, but they're now being continued under Biden. These are obviously two very different um, administrations, two very different approaches to trade policy. So have the group's um, objectives evolved to reflect that transition, or are they largely the same? I think while there is a big difference between the Biden and Trump administrations in a number of areas, there's certainly continuity about foreign policy and trade being focused on the U.S. strategic competition with China. And so I think it's important to point out that even though this trilateral partnership began during the margins of the WTO 11th ministerial conference in 2017 under Trump, And the commission has changed, the presidency in the U.S. has changed, the prime ministership in Japan has changed. This is still being revived, which just shows the buy-in of all three major markets in terms of trying to tackle non-market practices, which is basically code for saying China. And in terms of how the Biden administration is both similar but also a bit different to the Trump administration, I think is that one everything that you look at in terms of trade for the Biden administration needs to be through the lens of China and two worker-centric trade. And that basically has similarities to the Trump administration. But where I think there's divergence and a difference is that the Biden administration is also trying to include allies and do strategic actions that involve partners and building alliances, whereas the Trump administration was much more likely to use blunt instruments unilaterally. And from the European Union perspective, Alessandro, um, has the objectives for the group evolved? I mean, we've certainly seen um, a bit of an evolution in how the um, Brussels is approaching its relationship towards China, towards the U.S. as well. Sure. I think um, on the EU side, there is definitely 
uh, a genuine interest to work with partners on how to address non-market economies, and uh, as Alexander said, particularly China. Um, what they want to do, though, they want to do it in their own way, which means um, they will keep trying to avoid the kind of trump um approach of unilateral measures, and they will try to make sure that they will keep uh, all the sides tied to having a, a balanced approach towards China. Um, this means that, uh, in a sense, these trilateral efforts are going to um, go forward with some um, material uh, outcomes uh, unlikely in the short term. Uh, also because the EU will probably prioritize the efforts at bilateral level with the US. Yes, and I know that there are a number of bilateral efforts um, between the US and Japan as well, and that's been really important um, for the the new Japanese um, administration to uh, re-engage on a, on a number of these topics. Um, so if we look at where the January 2022 or 2020 communique left off, which is the, the last document that the trilateral group completed um, under the Trump administration, there was a clear focus on industrial subsidies and um, the state-owned S- enterprises or SOEs and how the three c- countries could uh, cooperate together to address those. It seems now that there has been a shift to a broader focus on China and kind of expanding expanding the um, slate of, of issues that the three countries are going to try and address, but still very narrowed on that China um, angle. And so, Alexander, I mean, is the 2020 communique still going to be the founding document for the group going forward? I know that was criticized um, for not kind of having a, a game plan for how to actually achieve the objectives in the document. Um, so have you seen any changes in that? I think there's going to be some similar themes, but also a difference in terms of priorities. In the 2020 communique that you mentioned Industrial subsidies certainly were the the majority of the focus of the communique, including how to address this through uh, WTO and multilateral levels in terms of different rules and definitions for what are seen as subsidies that should be prohibited for uh, contributing to non-market practices. But also in that communique, there was a smaller section on forced technology transfers and alluding to how the three partners could use tools like investment screening and export controls to tackle this area. And I think the latter is more likely to be a greater focus of the three partners, and especially for the US and the EU in terms of looking at both how you can do this bilaterally with the new US-EU Trade and Technology Council um, in terms of investment screening and and exports as as one area you can focus on, and then also doing this at the trilateral level. And so I think the focus is going to shift probably more in that direction of what these three economies can do together with existing tools or tools on their own, rather than focusing so much on changing WTO rules and definitions at a multilateral level, which is really hard to do because you need full consensus. 
Yeah, and I think that shift in um, priorities is a clear indication that there is broad consensus that the WTO is just mired in um, a number of challenges. And it seems like each country um, you know, has interest in breaking off smaller um, problems that they could address. And, you know, particularly as you, as you noticed, we've seen the TTC, the Trade and Technology Council had a, um, a big focus on uh, aligning investment screening uh, and export controls. And it, that, that's certainly important to um, Japan as well. Um, they're looking, I think, from this partnership to provide a counterweight to China in the region, particularly on investment. Um, they've been looking um, for greater engagement from the EU on investment, in, particularly in critical infrastructures, critical infrastructure and technology. So bringing in the, the Brussels perspective on um, investment screening and export controls, you know, Alessandro, I'd be curious to know if that is what the EU is hoping to achieve out of this um, trilogue or if their objectives are broader or different. As I said before, I think, uh, yes, there is an interesting process to coordinate this kind of policy measures to address, um, you know, the issues of common concern that came out clearly in the 2020 communique. Um, but I think, as you pointed out, uh, these new efforts now um, go beyond that. And there is also a risk uh, behind that, which means uh, overcomplicating these issues uh, and trying to uh, address uh, much more than only subsidies and state-owned enterprises issue with China means that uh, the three sides really need to be much more committed on addressing a, a wide range of issues vis-a-vis uh, -vis China. Uh, what I think the Brussels will try to get from this exercise is really build momentum uh, also for the other initiatives that you rightly mentioned, for example, the TTC, which, as you said, also tried to address much of these uh, problems like investment screenings um, and export controls. And I think um, we might see in the longer term some material results coming from uh, this initiative, but uh, the uh, EU will definitely prioritize the discussion is having with the US first in order to um, align with Washington on what they want to get on from the trilateral discussion and more broadly a joint approach with China before uh, moving on with external partners, which is a bit in clash what uh, the US want to do. Um, I think it was not a surprise to see that, for example, the language used in the TTC uh, or in the global arrangement for steel and aluminium uh, pointed to a much more stronger um, coordination of work to design jointly enforcement tools, uh, whereas the, 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 the language used in the uh, trilateral joint statement really is a bit more high level just to identify area of cooperation and future work. Clearly a different uh, stage in the discussion, but also I think a different ambition. I think that that's right. And I, you know, Alexander would be curious to see how the U.S. Um, 
views success? I mean, what is going to come out of this trilogue if both the EU and the US are a little bit more focused on the bilateral engagements, um, both with each other, the EU and the US, and then also with other countries in, um, you know, Asia Pacific, the US has its own dialogue and um, alliance with Japan, where they're working on a number of national security issues and economic issues as well. So what might we expect to come out of this trilogue if it's not going to be a broad, um, you know, binding agreement, if it's um, perhaps not even going to be a major effort to push reform at the WTO, what should we look for? I think uh, something that's more likely to come out of this trilateral partnership is where we'll have to really read the tea leaves in terms of what's happening behind the scenes at the technical level, at the working level between these different trade entities and regulators in terms of how these three uh, markets are developing tools like investment screening, like the EU's new anti-coercion um, a tool to to address what are the the broad objectives that are still quite vague in terms of the revived partnership. I think in terms of what the U.S. is looking for, they under the Biden administration are trying to be agile in terms of their strategic partnerships. There's no more appetite in Washington really for a free trade agreement. There's no more appetite on either the Republican or Democratic side to try to rejoin and be a part of the CPTPP, which the Biden administration helped negotiate and spearhead, and then the Trump administration abandoned. And so with that level of restriction in terms of trade, you have to look for more agile tools to be able to have a global influence and try to shape uh, global rules making, especially when it comes to technology and this race between the US and China setting standards. And so I think, as, as we've alluded to throughout this call, that the US is trying to blanket itself in overlapping alliances and partnerships. We've talked about the TTC in the US and EU. Uh, last month, Japan and the U.S. launched their own similar version of economic cooperation with a, a new trade partnership, and that's going to also lead to a series of meetings starting at the beginning of next year. And then there's the trilateral between the three partners. And so I think there's there's going to be a lot of overlap. The three key things I think that the U.S. will look for in terms of defining success in any output or outcome of the trilogue is one how does this contribute to job security? Two, how does this contribute to competitiveness, especially of the U.S. economy? And three, how does this contribute to U.S. leadership in technology? And in terms of that worker-centric lens of the Biden administration, this is going to be both about how American jobs are safe and protected, and also how to disperse any negative consequences to consumers when the US and EU and Japan are applying these tools vis-a-vis -vis China. In terms of competition, I think this is about how the three markets coordinate their industrial policies and try to make sure that any regulatory nets or legislative nets that they're casting doesn't lead to unintended consequences where you're catching each other's businesses up in, in 
these targeted regulatory tools that were not actually intended for them. And I think that's going to be really tricky moving forward for for all three markets of how they manage to do that. And then in terms of finally leadership and technology, I think a lot of that will come out of the, the bilaterals, especially the EU-US TTC, but also uh, digital trade and technology is going to be a focus of the Japan-US bilateral as well. So those are the three broad areas I think that the US is going to look for success. But I do think it's a bit too early to know exactly where uh, concrete outcomes are going to be besides what we're hearing now is that the winds are blowing towards the investment screening direction in terms of where there might be momentum for early early signs of concrete cooperation. That sounds right. And I think that, you know, as you mentioned, it is too early to tell, but it sounds like what we're the group is aiming for is a, a common set set of principles to to guide each um, company's policy or each country's policy making in these three areas. And I think that those um, three objectives that you laid out from the, the U.S. perspective actually might map on quite well to what Japan is looking for as well. Um, the new Prime Minister Kishida has made uh, in Japan has made promises to. Um, significantly grow the Japanese economy and grow Japanese workers' um, salaries. And so I think that fits neatly within the the job security component. Um, competitiveness and leadership in tech have also been a, a key focus, um, particularly of the uh, the um, the new administration. Um, Japan has been focused on really transforming the to a digital economy and using new technologies to support uh, you know tra- trade challenges um, and so that's everything from looking towards uh, you know solving customs and borders um, problems and, and speeding up the digitization of processing at, at ports and then it, it's also to a, a broader competitive angle on technology um, towards towards China and really countering China's influence in the region. And I think that we've seen that the new administration is certainly more hawkish on China than Japan has previously been in the past. And that's kind of brought Japan up alongside the US and EU in terms of what we're, we're looking to achieve from this. So, you know, taking a, a step back, if, you know, we're th- focusing on these three um, issue areas, at least from the, the US and, and the Japanese perspectives, what so is this eliminating the prospect for broadening the group's efforts to um, WTO reform, you know, specifically, you know, will we see, you know, down the road, any efforts to bring in other countries? You know, everyone seems to be very focused on the multilateral. There's a lot of overlapping agreements, which can get confusing in terms of what can be achieved in each one of these fora. So what are we looking at in terms of, you know, a year down the road, do you think that the group will ultimately push for WTO reform, or do you think that we're just going to stay narrow focused in these in these near term objectives? I think that there might be um, 
a, a new communique released perhaps sim similar on to the the previous Trump administration's efforts at this to have suggested language on an agreement on subsidies and countervailing measures at the WTO and and I think the rhetoric will continue about the need for reform and there there are discussions on this but my view for the Biden administration is that they're not going to put all their eggs in the WTO's basket and that they're, they're being realistic about this where they prefer to work with like-minded partners and smaller groups where they can tackle specific issue areas. And there is linkages. For instance, with the US-Japan new uh, trade partnership, there's reference to having that feed into the Biden administration's development for an economic framework for the Indo-Pacific. And so I think a lot of these areas are overlapping. What's difficult, as you mentioned, Miranda, is of course, this gets a bit complex to manage if you have a bunch of piecemeal partnerships and strategic alliances working. Um, and so I think that will be something difficult for the Biden administration to, to move forward on. And Alessandro? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Alexander. I think uh, there is also a recognition of the fact that the WTO reform and efforts at this moment are hardly going to yield any results in the short term. Uh, I think obviously this initiative, as well as the others that we just mentioned, will all feed into the multilateral reform process. Uh, but I think the three uh, parties, uh, first and foremost, will look at this as a way to build a critical mass uh, and a coordinated position of like-minded countries, uh, like probably the UK, Canada and others. Uh, about how way to address China's non-market practices before actually formalizing these efforts at the WTO as well. But as Alexander said, I think there are challenges as well as opportunities of having this initiative uh, working alongside the TTC, alongside the US-Japan partnership, uh, because obviously the focus of the policymakers involved would change. And um, we might assume that some of uh, some of the parties will prioritize one initiative over the other. And in, do, in saying that, I'm especially considering how the EU will uh, engage probably much more intensively and proactively uh, together with the US, um, just because, uh, as I said before, uh, the priority is to um, re-engage at bilateral level uh, knowing that trilateral negotiations on this issue will be much more complicated than the bilateral ones. Certainly, and I, I agree that there are a, a number of challenges to having all of these overlapping um, overlapping avenues towards policymaking, um, you know, not only for companies that are looking to engage on these issues um, with the U.S., European, and, and Japanese government. So if for our, our clients that are listening, um, where do you think that, or where do you think the private sector has the most um, potential for success in engaging on these issues? Is it within the TTC? Is it within the bilaterals? Is it within the, um, the trilogue, Alessandro? I think all these initiatives uh, provide a platform for engagement, uh, but they need to account for 
the different appetite and the different ambition from the three sides. Um, obviously, when we talk about the EU uh, and investment screening, we might want to uh, approach um, policymakers that are involved to the TTC primarily, uh, because we know there there is really um, a lot of focus in in Brussels, uh, much more than the one we could expect from the similar exercise happening at trilateral level. I think Alessandro's right about that. And and one concrete outcome that we might want to benchmark this revived trilateral against is, do we see a move towards convergence or harmonization between the three markets in terms of their investment screening procedures? Because that, I think, will be a sign of success um, and that might be very far-reaching uh, to have whatever convergence or harmonization ends up looking like. But I think that's one area where you could see and kind of read the tea leaves that, yes, behind the scenes, there's definitely cooperation, even though we might not see a lot of fanfare and headlines and gone are the days of the Trump administration where trade was number one in everyone's news boxes in the morning. And now it's it's much more subtle behind the scenes. And these blender instruments are becoming more nuanced, but they can be very, very sharp. And again, affect, affect companies, especially with global operations, who are increasingly likely to get caught up in these nets as new enforcement tools are developed. Certainly. And I know that um, USTR Catherine Tai has been um, very zeroed in on enforcement and that that has been a, a major part of the work that she's doing. And I think that it's interesting to, to see this focus on investment screening and export controls because it really shows how much national security concerns have infiltrated the, the trade policy space. And we've seen that on a number of issues. Um, but I think that having that national security focus, that desire to, um, if not outright counter China, at least provide some alternative forms of engagement in the region, some alternative influence in the region um, has been you know, particularly important for the, the Japanese government. The fact that the new prime minister established an economic security minister, an entirely new position, um, really shows that Japan is trying to highlight its geoeconomic um, bona fides and, um, you know, nail down this transition away from a, a dovish approach. And I think that, as you, as you said, um, you know, Alexander, just the fact that these conversations are, are happening and that they're providing engagement, um, which is a, a big difference from the, the Trump administration, that aligns with Japan's priorities as well, because frankly, they just want a, a seat at the table, even if it doesn't result in a, in a final agreement um, of the types that we've seen in the past in terms of FTAs or the, the like. Um, so I think that you know, we've got a lot to, to take in here. Um, I think that the big takeaways are that the um, U.S., Japan, and EU trilogue is just one in a number of important fora that will touch on these issues and that it will be important, particularly for the U.S., because the U.S. is, um, you know, not as engaged in other multilateral um 
efforts in the in the region. You know, they're not a part of the CPTPP, as you noted, Alexander, despite the fact that they helped to to negotiate the the text um, in the beginning. So um, I guess we can conclude if you guys have any um, other thoughts, any things to for uh, the private sector and particularly to, to look out for over the next six months in terms of, of the trilogue. Yeah, the I think what we are looking for now is obviously the preparation for uh, bilateral uh, high-level summits between, for example, the EU-Japan and uh, the, the TTC in uh, the spring. Uh, but obviously, as uh, Alexander said before, far from being uh, uh, the um, outgoing uh, trade policy that we saw in the past, these meetings are likely going to be much more um, under the radar and a bit obscure, um, which means that tracking the um, the uh, progress in those meetings will be hard uh, and will be also hard to find uh, the actual material outcomes from there. Uh, but obviously the preparations from uh, bilateral summits will offer some indication on whether things are moving forward or not. Great. Well, as um, always, I uh, appreciate hearing your insights. Um, and for our listeners, if you, your business, or your investments are exposed to any of these trade challenges or are operating within the EU, Japan, and US, we'd love to get in touch to see how we could support your, your company on these challenges. And you can find the contact details for Alessandro, Alexander, and myself, as well as all of Global Council's sectoral teams on our website at www.global-council.com or via the link in the podcast notes. Thanks, everyone. For more insights, blogs, and analysis, you can visit our website, www.global-council.com, and subscribe to our mailing list. And you can follow us on Twitter at global underscore council.